The regular season may be coming to a close, but CFB Winning Edge continues to work through the postseason as we make updates to our 2021 FBS team profiles, including depth charts, injury reports, bowl game opt-outs, NFL draft declarations, and more. Become a Tier 2 Patreon supporter to gain access to our 130 team pages, which include player and coach ratings, team performance, bowl game projections, and more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to learn more and to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And uh, Nick, uh, week 12 was interesting. Uh, Some uh, upsets were nice. Uh, Oregon (laughs) finally kind of got exposed. I think Xavier's been uh, calling for that for a little bit. Um, Michigan State got blown out. So uh, when we reflect back onto week 12, what do we want to remember it for? Uh, well, I think, yeah, first and foremost, I mean, there were three big sort of blowout uh, games that top 10 teams went down. Oregon, Michigan State, Wake Forest. Um, nine, you know, None of those three were particularly close. Clemson kind of pulled away from Wake Forest uh, in the second half was sort of the, the closest of the three. But um, you know, the rest of the week went mostly according to plan. No other ranked teams lost in the top 25 of the, the playoff rankings, at least. Uh, but those three games were, you know, certainly impactful, kind of helped clear uh, some of the rankings, you know, issues out a little bit, things that were part of the conversation the, the prior week. Um, but overall, I mean, I think most of the uh, I guess the the most interesting things that happened last week were we're really really ramping up as far as a lot of the coaching news goes and you know Dan Mullen being fired at Florida um, bit of a bit of a surprise just sort of how that game against Missouri played out not necessarily because they lost but um, you know just sort of some some perplexing uh, coaching decisions sort of at the end of the game where Florida could have uh, perhaps made a push to win that game in regulation they end up losing in overtime when Missouri goes for two gets the win and and the writing had sort of been on the wall there for a little bit but that's another huge job and there are uh, quite a few uh, big time head coaching jobs open have been open for a while more and more it seems every week and it's kind of interesting to, to see that a lot of who we expected the big time candidates in those jobs, to be are kind of, you know, we're seeing a lot of extensions. We're seeing talks of a, a extension for Mel Tucker at Michigan State. That was, of course, prior to last week, but, you know, would expect that they'll try to uh, get that done, uh, you know, both sides. Hearing things this morning about Luke Fickle not, you know, pursuing any of these jobs. There seems to be reporting to indicate that that's, you know, a serious thing that he would stay at Cincinnati. Uh, James Franklin at Penn State, another contracts extension. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how all of these big time jobs play out and then sort of, you know, the rest of the, uh, there, there are more and more openings, you know, down the line as well. Troy fired 
Chip Lindsey, New Mexico State's going to make a change with Doug Martin's contract expires. Uh, UMass made a hire, you know, and, and so we're going to see maybe more than in recent memory uh, head coaching jobs change over. So in addition to the games, which, of course, are you know more and more impactful each week, uh, we've got a lot of this off-field stuff going on that's going to shape the offseason and, and what 2022 looks like as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting as far as uh, the coaching carousel goes, right, Xavier? I mean, did you like I, I you like the smack talk? So you like Drinkwitz just throwing Dan Mullen under the bus was amazing. Like, yeah, it was always great. The Jedi stuff. The if you if you show kindness, kindness, and if you sow jackass, you reap jackass. I thought that was a great comment as well. So uh, I mean, Dan Mullen is a guy that is known to have burned some bridges here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I Before I go, I want to hold my hands up. I was absolutely wrong last week on both of our big games. Uh, I said I thought Michigan State would get the upset. I was absolutely wrong there. And I said Oregon would perform well against Utah. Absolutely wrong there as well. Uh, I was watching both games in agony like, well, I got to eat, eat this crow on, on, on Wednesday because this is, <laughs> these were some bad takes. Uh, but no, I, I loved what I've seen from the coaching coaching carousel right now some of the names being thrown around obviously you hear billy napier obviously at louisiana is obviously one of the hottest commodities in college football it seems i've heard discontentment from lincoln riley's camp i've got some people at oklahoma who are telling me that that's not a done deal that he's staying there i i just love this time of college football because it's really up in the air of who goes where and who gets another chance i you know one of the names that i would i think a lot of teams need to look out or at least keep an eye on for at least another year is what Brett Bielema does at Illinois. I think he's not that far away from getting another opportunity at a high, at a, at a bigger school. Uh, I really don't. I think people would look back at his time in Wisconsin and go, well, you know what? He just wasn't able to get over the hump, but bad would not be the word that would, that you would describe his tenure whatsoever. And if he's able to get that Illinois team, which is in, and Nick can tell me if I'm wrong or right by the numbers, I would assume that they're overperforming this year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if another season like that gets him at a bigger university in a year or two. Yeah. Nick, what do you think? Uh, do we know if Illinois is overperforming? I mean, not the greatest record here, of course, but uh, they've had some okay wins. They beat Nebraska week one. And they beat Penn State. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it's interesting. I wasn't expecting Xavier to bring up Brett Bielema, but, but yeah. uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, you know, that's a name that, that could be intriguing to, to different jobs. It's, it'll be a little bit interesting, I think, to see if he can take Illinois to another level. And, and you guys are right that they have overperformed. One of the things that I've, uh, you know, tried to do a little work on to uh, get ready for the end of the regular season is see how our win total projections have done. Um, and I mean, you know, I track all the numbers as much as I can see how we're performing and, and all of that. And win totals is part of that. Cause you know, the three of us got together uh, a couple of times each week for, you know, months going over each individual team and, and uh, conference previews and, and whatnot. And, you know, Illinois is one of those teams that uh, we projected to go over and they went over pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, the, the wins over Nebraska and Penn State were, of course, uh, upset wins. And, and then everything else is, for the most part, gone according to schedule. So it's not like uh, they've completely, you know, blown things out of the water. They're they're not far over uh, that posted win total uh, from this summer, but they are 
ahead of schedule, you would say, in, in his first year. Yeah, they've, they, they've been good. So, um, I mean, it, better with him, I, I would say. Not good. So I don't want to put that on Illinois. But uh, they, they've been better with Brett Bielema. But uh, how did Week 12 go as far as the numbers went, Nick? Uh, was it uh, – are, are we moving on up? We're moving down? Where are we going? It's uh, sort of the, the same old story. And part of the reason why I am looking at those win totals – uh, maybe it might just be, you know, to, to feel a little bit better about it because the against the spread numbers are just the same. I mean, they're, they're uh, a, you know, a handful of games under 500 for the last month or so. It's It's been uh, really pretty frustrating. But I put this in the sheet and I, I wasn't sure whether or not I would actually say it on uh, <laughs> on the show. But I, I said I'm basically, you know, the way the numbers are performing is kind of like I'm the Scott Frost of against the spread projections. Because, you know, if you look at Nebraska right now, they only have three wins, you know, one and seven in Big Ten play. Uh, but if you look at postgame win expectancy numbers, second order wins and things like that, we would have expected Nebraska to have six and a half wins based on the way that they've played. Uh, they've, you know, played well, played tough opponents. Uh, this season's been a difficult season for a lot of, you know, computer projection models, a lot of folks out there, um, but just not not enough wins. And last week was one of those weeks. We went 26, 34 and two against the spread. That's 30, you know, uh, 43.4%, which is, you know, worse than our season uh, average, but we're still well below 50%. And that's, that's definitely not where we want to be as far as wins and losses go. Um, the total numbers pretty good. We actually finished 500 on the dot last week in our overall projections because our over-unders went 35 and 27. So we were 61, 61 and two uh, overall last week. And totals have been solid all year. They're 53.1% this season, 53.9% all time when we started doing that last year. Um, and though, you know, the, the against the spread numbers have been disappointing, like I said, sort of those outlying uh, or excuse me, underlying numbers uh, are quite good. We're 12.83 in absolute error. Um, I have mentioned the project prediction tracker uh, before. They've got over 50 different uh, systems that they track. We would rank ninth and only three of those eight above us are not, you know, the line, the midweek line, the, the you know, what have you, or some sort of hybrid system of, of others that they track. Uh, we're right online with SP Plus, who's one of the only systems that are like three or four um, that that are you know well known in the industry that are over fifty percent this year. Uh, and our uh, absolute error number is percentage points even better than SP Plus, which is kind of interesting. We also have positive closing line value. Um, we've got I think it's you know over seventy points or something. Not a not a huge uh, amount, but to be below 50% and to have some positive uh, closing line value, I think is, is pretty good. Since we started entering the uh, pick them that uh, collegefootballdata.com does, we're third out of the 39 in absolute error. So, you know, the, the numbers themselves, and I, I have said this before, I need to go back and actually run uh, the numbers for the, the first three years that we did it. But I, I would assume that our absolute error numbers uh, are the best we've ever done, but are against the spread numbers are the worst we've ever done. So it's it's really you know frustrating to see 
a loss instead of a win, you know, more often than not in that column. Uh, but overall, you know, I've been tempted. I've been, I mean, you guys know I've been, you know, whining, complaining in this segment for weeks and weeks now. Uh, I've thought about, all right, you know, it's time to just scrap everything, build it over from scratch. But <laughs> in a lot of ways, that's an extreme reaction. Yeah. I mean, but you know, it's just, it, it's kind of like I feel like uh, hit my head against a wall sometimes. But then in a lot of ways, there, there are some some positives to, to you know, some good things in, in place. Um, unfortunately, the all three agree have just been horrible this year. I, I also wrote in the uh, notes here that that uh, the best bet in college football this season has been to fade our all three agree <laughs> because we are at 41.3%. So if you were on the other side of that and just did the opposite of the thing that, you know, we have in place that's supposed to help us select our best projections, uh, you would be at 58.7%. And if we did that, I, you know, be jumping for joy. So uh, to be on the wrong side of that is incredibly uh, frustrating. And this week, you know, we've talked in weeks before when we've had like 20, all three agrees. I'm like, man, that's way too many, way too many. We have 36. Oh my Lord. 36. There are 65 games. 36 of them are all three agrees. So, you know, are we going to, Get back to even, you know, we're, we're two and oh this week. I mean, this of, is a good chance to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we're, we're two and oh on Maction, so we are on pace to go 65 and oh. So oh that that you means, know. you know, that means 36 and oh on all three agree. We're going to be, we're going to be sitting pretty. Uh, or do you want to fade them because they've been at, you know, on the wrong side of uh, 40% this year? So I don't know. It's, uh, I, I'm trying to, to stop myself from, from whining too much, I'm sure. That gets really old. Uh, but in some ways, you know, it, it's been a good season. In some ways, it was a good week last week. Uh, just the wins and losses, which is what matters, which is why Scott Frost, you know, was on the the hot seat. Why, you know, he's got to make some changes to his coaching staff. I got to make some changes to some of the things that I do uh, to project these games because we just we need to win more. We're not winning enough. And that's in the name. Right. So so got to got to get some things figured out. Yeah, I, th- I thought you were gonna say. Uh, I thought I thought Xavier and I were about to get canned on this show. I got to make some. Uh, he had to make some changes in his staff. Uh, I got to make some changes in my staff right here too. So, uh, but luckily uh, we're we're okay. It's just changing the numbers a little bit here. Um, all right, so moving on to week thirteen here, Nick. Uh, let's dive in and just take a look and say, uh, what are the lines that have you the most confused when you look at them? for week 13 a lot of rivalry games a lot of fun ones and the funny thing is is you know you get into these rivalry games and these you know uh quote unquote bowl games you know iron bowl egg bowl uh traditions cup all this stuff you know uh you hear what everyone says throw out the records throw out the records throw out the trends it doesn't matter everything's on the line here uh, but usually these games all always tend to play towards the trends anyway, just like every other week. But, um, you know, sometimes they don't that, that, and that's, you know, when, when I think they get more publicized when there's an upset on these, but, uh, what, what do you look at and go, what are they thinking on these lines here, Nick? Well, so I, there weren't that many that just surprised me to, to think like, you know, that line just seems so off because even some of the ones that were uh like where our numbers have a pretty big gap 
Um, there are some things that can kind of help explain why odds makers or the public might, uh, you know, completely disagree. One of them, you know, Washington State is a slight favorite at Washington. In a lot of ways, that makes sense. Washington State's been pretty stable. Washington has been super disappointing, um, and things just don't seem to be going well there right now. So it's understandable to me that that game would basically be a toss-up. That's an all three agree for us where we have Washington as basically a touchdown or more favored in all three models, you know, but we just, we can't quite capture some of the off the field issues and some of the just disappointing results that Washington has had, especially when, you know, last week they were one of the, uh, their loss, you know, uh, against Colorado, they had like a 90 something post game win expectancy and, and sort of the way we, track things that matters a little bit more than the wins and losses when we're trying to apply that to future uh projections and and uh try to you know future team performance expectations and things like that uh but i understand why that you know why that line is different why our projection is different uh florida and florida state is a very similar one we have florida's like a 10 point favorite and why in the world, based on how Florida has been playing, how disappointing they've been, you know, fine, firing their head coach, all sorts of turmoil, why in the world would they be double-digit favorites in a rivalry game like that? I understand. Our projections just don't quite see it. Um, a couple that that uh, were a little bit surprising. I'm, I'm, I'm a little – I didn't expect Mississippi State to be a favorite over Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Uh, they're only a one and a half point favorite, but all our numbers have Mississippi uh, favored in that game. Um, we'll talk about that one a little bit more in depth, but one that actually our numbers agreed with, but then there's an additional layer to it to bring up Nebraska again. We have Nebraska as close to a touchdown favorite against Iowa um, when our initial projections came out on Sunday and actually we saw it weeks and weeks in advance. I think we talked about it when Iowa was playing uh, Wisconsin or, you know, right after they uh, lost to Purdue, I mentioned like, Hey, our numbers actually have Nebraska favored against Iowa. And that was when they were a you know top 10 team. Uh, and it's, it's held. And one of the things that we do that a lot of projection systems don't is account for court or, you know, account for injuries Nebraska's quarterback, Adrian Martinez, who's a 90-plus rated player uh, in our player ratings, is out, had shoulder surgery this morning. So he will not play in this game. But, you know, even with taking him out of the lineup, we still have Nebraska favored over a 9-2 and two Iowa team. So it probably would surprise a lot of people, might not understand it. I don't necessarily feel comfortable with it. Uh, but that's, you know, in addition to, to some of the other – things that uh, the Washington's, the Florida's that we just, you know, the numbers are what they are, but I understand there's some outside factors that would uh, perhaps make our number a little off. That one's, I feel like we've accounted for just about everything we can account for other than I guess, you know, Nebraska just hasn't been able to get it done. So why would we trust them to win this type of game? I do understand that. Uh, but that that might be, you know, that in addition to the Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State Egg Bowl, uh, kind of the the ones that jump out to me just a little bit more than the rest. Xavier, when you're taking a look at this Week 13 schedule, what stands out to you as? What are they thinking? Uh, Nick just mentioned, a, you know, a decent amount of lines there. Are there a bunch that stand out to you, or is there a couple in particular? 
I think there's a couple in particular. Uh, first and foremost, I think the Oklahoma State, there's a lot of money being put on Oklahoma State right now. Uh, Oklahoma went from a one-point favorite to now a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, I think that that means that some they, they must know something we don't because that is, that's a lot of money to have switched it from from that much, you know, to be almost more, more than a field goal favorite there. I, I just don't know if Oklahoma State is, is that much better than Oklahoma. I understand Oklahoma hasn't looked impressive in the, in, in the last couple of weeks, and obviously the loss to Baylor looms large. But a four-and-a-half-point favorite, I think that's a little bit too rich uh, for my blood. Ohio State only being a touchdown favorite going against Michigan. If, if everybody feels like they're the best offense in the country – I think that that should be a larger gap. I was thinking maybe two scores uh, at the least bit, 10 point favorite going into that game uh, for all the plaudits that, uh, that Ohio state has been getting. I would have thought that that, that would have been a much bigger line, especially against a Michigan team that lost to Michigan state who they were able to molly uh last week. I'm a little bit surprised that wake force is only a five point favorite against Boston college. I, I think, you know, wake forest offense at the very least has been, you know, the one thing you could pretty much, uh, you know, hang their hat on and outside of, yeah, a, a Clemson team beating them that we knew was more talented than them. And I think that that's the problem that people are really looking at that Clemson game. Like, yeah, Clemson blew them out. Yet yeah, I think it would have been, if, if somebody told me preseason, Clemson's going to blow out Wake Forest, I would have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> what would have been, you know, what would have been the, the shock value there? So I think there's a little bit too much shock value in that game. And last bit for, for me is, is Alabama being a 20-point favorite over Auburn. Alabama hasn't won a game in, in Jordan-Hare since 2013 so yeah that's that's the last time that they won that they beat them in jordan hair uh it, it was 2015 excuse me it was 2015 yeah, yeah. i was gonna say yeah 20 well 2013 was the kick six right yeah they've won three they, they, auburn's won three of the last four games at jordan hair okay mm-hmm. yeah and, and that one loss was 2015 uh so with that being the case i thought it would be a little bit more of a closer line understanding the history of alabama's you know you know, unsuccessful trips to Auburn over the last couple of years, no matter what team Auburn, uh, uh, you know, trots out there and, uh, and uh, you know, just kind of the, the unlucky nature in which Alabama has had at that stadium over the last, you know, you know, three of the last four years or three last four contests uh, in Jordan here. Uh, do you remember where you were for the kick six? Were you watching it uh, live? Cause I, I remember I was listening to it on the radio driving. I remember where mm-hmm. I was in Scottsdale. I was driving down Shea, and uh, I remember hearing it. All right, they're going to try to return it. I remember that. And then just losing it, everyone losing it. And then me trying to find the highlight on the side of the road, like to, to watch it. So, uh, I mean, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Iron Bowl, always, always uh, very, very oh, yeah. fun Great times. to watch. Um, now, um, when we look at uh, week 13, I mean, you said there's a lot of all three agrees. Does that mean? We have a lot of games with uh, large edges against the spread here, Nick. There are more than we've seen in recent weeks. I've talked, you know, in, in past weeks about how our uh, the margin between our projection and that Vegas Insider consensus spread that we use for grading purposes each week uh, has been so tight, basically the the entire month of November and, and late October. Uh, but it's widened just a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, and we had seven of these games last week. We went three and four in those, brought our record to uh, 52.1%, 63 and 58 on games where we have a, a difference of five points or more uh, compared to that line. So this has actually been a, a pretty uh, pretty good spot for us 
this week. But yeah, there there are more games here than usual. Uh, Nebraska being one of those, a little bit of a, a weird one, uh, but we actually have close to a, a six point difference in our projection in the line there. Uh, we have Missouri plus 14 and a half as being a pretty big edge against Arkansas. Uh, Washington, we talked about, is one. Liberty minus three and a half against Army. Now that's a, a little bit tricky because Army uh, just doesn't have you know the talent uh, profile in these types of matchups. So it's, it's our model has been a little iffy on, on army this year. Uh, Temple plus 12 and a half. That's been a team, you know, unfortunately week after week uh, we've, we've been on temple to cover some of these big numbers and they just, they just haven't. Um, So them against Navy, similarly, you know, we're, we're probably underrating Navy uh, the way that they play in that one, but we see uh, a big edge uh, as far as our projections go. Arizona State, we have is closer to a 25-point uh, favorite instead of a uh, 20-point favorite against Arizona. It's been a little difficult to, to uh, trust Arizona State recently, so I understand perhaps why that one's a little uh, smaller than our projection. And then a couple that seem, you know, maybe like there's an opportunity there, maybe a little value. FAU minus 3.5 this week. Uh, against Middle Tennessee, and then USC plus seven against BYU. I know BYU's got, of course, a much, much better record, uh, but USC's talent profile, you know, that that's a game that they certainly could compete in, I think. And, and if uh, Jackson, start, or Jackson Dart, who's now starting at quarterback, uh, can perhaps give them a little bit of a lift uh, there in BYU, I expect that to be a, a fairly close game. So uh, we'll see how it plays out, of course. You know, USC's one of those teams without a head coach. You never know. You know, how, how are they going to be able to show up uh, in a game like this? But I, I think they at least should compete. So hopefully there's some, you know, good results there. Uh, but we are seeing a little bit more uh, in recent weeks where our numbers are uh, showing a, a bigger gap in, in uh, our projection and, you know, compared to the that Vegas line. All right. Well, let's dive in on week 13 here. And I see the first game that uh we have listed the rubber match uh yeah uh it is a umass against new mexico state now new mexico state is a six and a half point favorite and 58 and a half is the over here i didn't expect to talk about this game but i do know why <laughs> yes. we're talking about it yeah nick, nick has a lot writing on this game right here so nick why don't you break umass versus new mexico state down I, I just kind of put that on as a joke. I, I, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time. Oh, there, but come on. You got to dive in on I it. know it's yeah. got some people out there excited because it is, you know, UMass is number 130 in our power ratings. New Mexico State is number 129. So it's uh, it, it's definitely, you know, <laughs> going to intrigue some people maybe for all uh, the wrong reasons. But UMass is uh, one of the worst teams. Obviously, we think the worst team in, in FBS. But I, according to our preseason projections, they were a team that we expected to uh, go over that preseason win total. It was one and a half uh, at DraftKings and I think most other places as well. The schedule, they played two FCS opponents. They had UConn and then, of course, this game at New Mexico State. So the thinking was, and, and our numbers kind of back this up, we expected three uh, wins or more and thought that, you know, getting to that two would be uh, would be good. So I, I made it a priority uh, and bet quite a bit uh, of, of just, you know, com- units wise, 
compared to what I normally would do uh, on UMass over one and a half. And, and it has not necessarily gone well. They got the win over UConn, <laughs> uh, which, which was good, but then lost to both Rhode Island and Maine. And that Maine game was not particularly close uh, for, for, you know, a, a good portion of it. Uh, UMass ranks near the bottom in just about every major statistical category that we cover. Uh, their talent profile is among the worst in college football, 130th in roster strength overall, 130th on the offensive side of the ball. They fired their head coach. Uh, so, you know, not, not a lot really going well. New Mexico State hasn't officially fired its head coach, but it sounds like all indications are they're going to let his contract expire this year. They're, it's, it seems they're targeting Jerry Kill, uh, former Minnesota uh, head coach and currently acting head coach at TCU for that job. Be interesting to see if he takes that. Uh, New Mexico State doesn't rank much, if at all, better in, in most statistical categories. Maybe the one bright spot, the one that they're actually single digits in is offensive success rate, uh, non-garbage time against FBS opponents. Uh, they rank 96th, but similarly, you know, 130th in net yards per play. 125th net points per drive, 130th net yards per pass attempt, 129th in EPA margin. Compare that to UMass, uh, or excuse me, and, and 123rd in net success rate. UMass is 129th yards per play, 130th points per drive, 129th yards per pass attempt, uh, 121st net success rate, and 130th in net uh, EPA margin or predicted points allowed margin. So, you know, uh, New Mexico State, is got an edge at the quarterback position. Josiah Johnson's been, you know, pretty good. UMass is uh, starting, uh, who who was the third stringer coming into the year. Garrett Gisuro, uh started last week. I, I think he's going to be in line to start again uh, this past week because Tyler Lytle, the transfer from Colorado, has been banged up a lot this year. And Brady Will, uh, Brady Olson, true freshman who spent some time starting. Uh, just hasn't quite been able to get it done. UMass, you know, era, uh, excuse me, Ellis Merriweather, running back, uh, is is uh, a bright spot. Could you know carry a pretty heavy load if they're able to run the ball with him. I think UMass can keep it close and maybe have a chance to win. Uh, Rico Arnold, transfer and former uh, Clark Central Gladiator, where I actually used to to coach a little bit high school football in Athens, Georgia. Uh, pretty good receiver there. Jermaine Johnson's been banged up, but he's he's been their primary uh, receiver. UMass has some has some guys on offense that could potentially, you know, come up with a big play. But I think New Mexico State has just a little bit more upside. Juwan Price has been pretty impressive as a running back. Um, like I said, Jonah Johnson has had some good games, is more of a running threat uh, as a quarterback. Guys like, you know, Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda at wide receiver can make some plays. Jared Wyatt, Terrell Warner, those type of guys as well. Um, you know, I think it'll be a fairly close game. We do have New Mexico State as a five and a half point favorite. Basically, that would be UMass uh, covering. And our final prediction uh, is, let me see. The, I actually didn't even put it on the sheet because I was just sort of Joking about us doing this uh, thirty-two like twenty-six. You were joking about it, and you broke it all the way down. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. all the way down. Yeah. yeah, sorry. New Mexico State thirty-two twenty-six games at home. Uh, we do have UMass covering the six and a half, and I, for one, will be rooting for an outright UMass upset. <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, tell, tell, tell us, tell us, Nick, what what is that UMass home field advantage like? What's the raucous crowd up there in Massachusetts going on? Oh no, this game is in Las Cruces. Oh, it's in, oh, it's in New Mexico yeah, State. So, oh, they, okay. so they do not have that uh, that that loud Amherst crowd uh, there at, at UMass. I'm sure uh, it'll get rocking in Las Cruces. Yeah, it, it's so. very yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it, it's. It, I know you were joking about that, but <laughs> home field advantage isn't always the crowd. It's that this game is what three thousand miles away. Yeah, it's the track, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's part of it. I mean, it's it's Different not zones. I yeah. imagine not particularly easy to get from Amherst, Massachusetts, to <laughs> Las Cruces, New Mexico, and that time is worth something. You know, is it worth I mean, two it might and a half points? Get, that's what we put it on. Might be easy to get there, but it's still far. You know, no, no matter how you break it down, it's still a long trip. Right. You know, not like it's West Virginia where you have to land in Pittsburgh and drive through the mountains and uh, all that stuff. So, uh, but you know, Las Cruces, uh, I, I don't know. It, Xavier, come on, you got anything in this game, or you just really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just along for the ride. I'm throwing it to you. I'm throwing it to you. No, no. All right, let's go we're on. All, we're all rooting for UMass. Otherwise, we are all rooting for UMass. There might be yeah. staff changes. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, there might be there's either staff changes or Christmas bonuses uh for yeah. uh, you know UMass to win. So uh Nick's got a lot of units on it. So let, let's go. Let's go UMass. Come on. Uh but Ole Miss on the road at Mississippi State, the egg bowl. Uh, Mississippi State, as Nick alluded to earlier, a two and a half point favorite. 63 and a half is the over in this one, Nick. How do you see it going here? So uh, you know, home field advantage. Uh, in Starkville, the crowd will be raucous, and this is one of the fiercest uh, rivalries in college football, just as far as pure hate from one fan base to another. I lived in Mississippi for a couple of years uh, and got to see it a little bit up close, and, and these two fan bases really do not like each other. Uh, so I would expect you know national TV audience on Thanksgiving Day, all eyes on this game, uh, should be a good one, and they've been close in recent years, regardless at times of whether or not one team had a big talent advantage over the other. And, you know, our numbers do show that Ole Miss is the more talented team, and it's pretty clear. Matt Corral, 100-rated player in our numbers, you know, potentially a Heisman finalist. Uh, they're three deep at running back, uh, in addition to Corral, who's, who's put up some good rushing numbers this year. The wide receiver core is finally fully healthy for the first time in months. Uh, but Braylon Sanders, Jonathan Mingo, and Ontario Drummond are all back uh, after missing some time at various points this season due to injury. Uh, Jakur Pearson, Pearson excuse me, has, has stepped up, You know, had some good moments uh, with those guys sideline. Dennis Jackson, similarly, uh, but it's good for Corral to have all, you know, his full complement of receivers. Uh, Jaron Ely also was a little bit banged up at times earlier this year, running back, uh, and Corral himself had been dealing with a lower body injury. So hopefully that offense will be uh, fully healthy. I know they, you know, banged up on the offensive line at times as well. Sam Williams, really good pass rusher for uh, Ole Miss. Um, you know, ranks really high, uh, double-digit sacks, um, good, good player. The difference there being is, is Mississippi State going to be able to neutralize him uh, or other guys on the defense because they just get rid of the football really quickly. And Will Rogers, the numbers he's put up this season, probably shouldn't have surprised too many people if you look at uh, Mike Leach quarterbacks over the years. But I believe there's one game this season where he failed to throw for 300 yards. And 
in the last few weeks has just been you know better and better. It seems like he's clicking on all cylinders. The offense is is really working. It hasn't been uh, you know super explosive. Their their yards per pass numbers aren't uh, anything exciting. Six point nine yards per pass, which is ninety third in the country, and and Rogers himself is just a little over seven. Um, so you know they're they're not making huge plays in the passing game, but they are consistently moving the football down the field. And you know he's gotten some good uh, good performances out of Makai Polk was uh, pretty impactful transfer this year. Stepped into that number one receiver role, kind of to the surprise of, of a lot of folks with Jaden Wally coming back. But um, you know he's coming on a little bit of late. Austin Williams is coming on a little bit of late. Guys like Malik uh, Heath and Jameer Calvin have had their spots as well. So Mississippi State, I think, will challenge Ole Miss on offense. Uh, like I said, the numbers aren't spectacular, but they rank 34th in offensive team performance. Their success rate is actually top 10 in the country. They rank sixth with a 50.5% success rate. So you compare that to an Ole Miss defense that has allowed a 46.5% success rate, which ranks 109th. It's going to be imperative for almost to do something to get Mississippi State off the field, you know, force a three and out, force a turnover. Um, that that's going to be that's going to be vital because you don't really think of a you know true air raid style offense as being kind of ball control, but you could see that kind of playing out a little bit if Mississippi State is just sort of dinking and dunking, dropping it off to the running backs who you know Dylan Johnson and uh, Jaquavius Marks both have over 50 catches this year. Um, you could see Mississippi State kind of uh, oddly playing a little bit of keep away, keep corral, keep that offense off the field, shorten the game uh, by just, you know, they call it an extension of the running game, right? To just do swing passes, screen plays, all that sort of stuff. And that would be how Mississippi State could potentially uh, limit Ole Miss's possessions. And then, you know, have some success against what's been a pretty good pass defense. They ranked 24th in, in passing team performance, but 60th overall defensively. And so, you know, the Rebels are, are far from dominant on the offensive side of the ball. And what has been obviously a very, very good offense, ranks eighth in, in team performance overall, top 15, both passing and rushing, the way we calculate things. Is Mississippi State going to uh, be able to, to – limit that Ole Miss offense? Will they be able to, to play keep away a little bit? Uh, our numbers think the Rebels should be favored. This is a wrong team favored situation for us. We have them as about a field goal favorite. Uh, I did a study a couple of years ago uh, looking at games where the travel distance is less than 100 miles. And so, you know, when you have these in-state rivalry games, uh, you can just bus up you know, day of the game or keep your somewhat normal road schedule where a lot of teams do stay in a hotel the night before. So it's not necessarily like they're staying in their, their uh, own bed, but a lot of the, uh, the, the, the logistics around a game like this are more similar to a home game than they are a true road game. And that seems to have an, an impact and teams in that situation uh, it does negate some of that home field advantage. So even though the atmosphere in Starkville will be 
I'm sure nuts. And, and this game has been crazy. Uh, we know in, in recent years, some of the things that have gone on, but uh, you know, there, there are some indicators, one, uh, a roster strength advantage two the, the distance is a little bit of a factor. And, and, you know, based on some of my research is somewhat quantifiable uh, to negate a little bit of that home field advantage. And, you know, I just kind of trust Ole Miss a little bit more. I know Mississippi State has played really, really well the last six weeks, you know, two months, whatever it's been. They are a better team now than they were at the beginning of the year. But this Ole Miss team's a, a pretty solid team, and they've been able to win recently despite, you know, a banged-up offense, that offense not being quite as explosive as we expected. Uh, win over Texas A&M, really impressive Went over LSU was, you know, good. They played Alabama tough at times, even though that game got away from them a little bit. I think Ole Miss is a better team, and, and I think they'll win this game. Xavier, what do you think? Uh, you got Ole Miss or Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl? Yeah, and Nico hit it on the head as soon as he finished. He said, I think Ole Miss is the better team. And that's how I feel about this game coming into it, is I feel like Ole Miss is a, is a more complete outfit than what Mississippi State's going to bring to the field. As Nick alluded to, Mississippi State doesn't have a running game. Or, or you know, obviously in a Mike Lee system, a running game is not really indicative of what they want to do. And in, in, in some of the wins that they've had this year, it's been Will Rogers having to throw the ball 42 54, 47 times. And I just see, like, if that's what has to happen on Saturday, they're not going to win this ballgame. Because, you know, Nick was talking about, you know, uh, Mississippi State playing keep away. I, I think that Ole Miss is going to do a lot of that with Matt Corral's ability to run Jerrion Ely out of the backfield uh, now now, now being a, available to, to do the same. You know, I, I think that they have a more a running game that they've leaned on a little bit more than I think people would have realized coming into this year due to all the receivers uh, injuries this year. So I think that they have an opportunity to be able to go up like 21 to seven and then just control the game. Uh, whereas I feel like with Mississippi State, the great things about that air raid offense and the great things that come with it are your ability to dink and dunk. But at the same time, when you do have a lead and you play in that kind of offense, it's the complete opposite. You can't really hold on to the football for, for that long because you're throwing it down after down after down. And, and you don't really have that surefire. We're going to keep the clock running right on a third and four where you, you know, if, if you get the four or not, you just want to keep the clock running. Who's to say that they don't sit there and, and try to drop back pass and they throw a drag route across the middle of the field. He drops it. Clock stops. Ole Miss gets the football back. But I just think that, you know, and, and for Ole Miss, they can be hyper-focused on this game, not looking towards anything. There's no SEC championship in, in, in mind. Nothing of that ilk. Um, Heck, but they are ranked nine, or what were they ranked this year? I, I, I think they are ranked in the top 10 after yesterday's CFB uh, playoff. Either that or the top 15. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. But They're nine. They're nine? Okay, cool. Yeah. So I, I, this will be the highest finish for them since ooh, the Sugar Bowl, what, four or five years ago? With Bo Wallace and company, I think that was the I think that was the last time that they finished this this highly. Uh, so they have that to play for, and we 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 all remember what happened. I think the last time that they were ranked or a, t a ranked a team came in this uh, highly ranked, and that was Mississippi State. But I, I like Ole Miss. I think that they figured out their offense 
throughout this year. Them getting all of their receivers back this week is just going to be an extra headache for that for that Mississippi State defense, who has shown the inability to really stop the run against Auburn. That's really what got Auburn going. You know, Tank Bigsby had a really good day against them, and if it wasn't for Auburn's offense literally hitting a wall, I and their defense forgetting how to play defense, they would have lost that game pretty handedly. So I, I think that when we look at Mississippi State, they've had some prof- some impressive performances. But even in, in a lot of their impressive performances, their defense has been completely lacking and just been non-existent. So I, I like Ole Miss in this game. I, I think that they're going to, you know, win it, win it pretty handedly. Uh, and, and I mean, for for all intents and purposes, we hear all, what we talked about at the beginning of this episode with the whole coaches situation. If this is Lane's last game, he's going to want to go out with a bang. I don't think it'll be Lane's last game. I've heard speculation and rumors. I don't think he's going anywhere. But if it were to be Lane's last game, Lane's going to want to leave Ole Miss with, with, with a dominant Egg Bowl victory. I think those are the same people that throw Mike Tomlin into rumors. You know, it's just they, they attach Lane Kiffin to every single, uh, you know, opening because he has moved so often. But, That's very true. Um, we'll see. I mean, who knows? You know, it is Lane Kiffin. Uh, next game up here, Penn State at Michigan State. Penn State is a one and a half point favorite. 52 is the overneck. Uh, you know, Michigan State coming off the bad loss. Do we think they can rebound and beat Penn State at home? Or uh, do we think Penn State is going to take this one? So this was one that that our projection actually uh, flipped early in the week on, on some different information. I had to go back and uh, make an update uh, to the, the post I put on Patreon for our uh, supporters there when we released this on, on Tuesday morning. Um, we initially, and it's in part because, you know, Sean Clifford has been banged up, Penn State quarterback, uh, had been banged up and he left last week's game and did not return. And so when our initial, you know, projection went out Sunday night and when our, our first round of, uh, projections, uh, official projections went Tuesday morning, we had Michigan State favored, uh, outright to, to win this game. And I think at that time it was a pick em. Um, and you know, that was in part because I didn't expect Sean Clifford to play. I figured, uh, you know, he, he didn't warm up pregame. There were some questions as to whether or not he would actually play, uh, played a little bit left, didn't return. Uh, but we found out Tuesday, uh, you know, mid midday, uh, that Clifford had been dealing with an illness. You know, a lot of teams are, are dealing with flu, uh, issues. That's something I should have mentioned when we were talking about New Mexico State. Actually, they canceled practice one day last week, which to me was kind of like, all right, yeah, yeah, one less practice. Maybe, maybe UMass over one and a half lives. But, uh, uh you know, it, it, he, he apparently was dealing with the illness, is back and expected to be fully healthy for this game. So I put him at full strength in our, uh, team profiles. And that actually pushed Penn State because there is a pretty big drop off, even though, uh, Christian Villu, I believe is how you pronounce the last name, uh, you know, showed some promise, showed why he was a pretty highly rated guy coming in uh, as, a, as a true freshman last week. Um, there's a there's a big drop off because Sean Clifford is a 92 rated player, according to our uh, you know calculations. He's very, very experienced, uh, has had some you know quality performances in his career, including some this year. And Bill Yu is, is uh, 75, almost 76, but a, a pretty big drop-off from a true freshman, just experience standpoint, you know, being a big part of that, career production being part of that. And so Sean Clifford is worth basically four points in our model um, compared to his backup. And so if, if he wasn't going to play, we'd have Michigan State favored. Now that he is, 
uh, we have Penn State favored by three. So um, that actually moved this from, you know, uh, the, the other team actually favored to win outright to now a Penn State. Uh, all three agree. All, all three of our models have them favored by uh, at least a field goal, including, you know, talent edges, double digits. Uh, just, just, you know, Michigan State, as we've mentioned plenty because we've talked about them a lot in recent weeks, has been so improved. I've been incredibly impressed with Mel Tucker. I know when the, you know, the numbers started to get leaked out, $95 million extension, uh, some folks are just kind of like, whoa, you know, what has Tucker actually done? One winning year uh, in, in three seasons, the other two not particularly, you know, very good. I kind of see it. Like, I, I see one that he can win big at Michigan State. He's going to be able to recruit there. Uh, it's a, a better job than maybe some people realize. And yeah, he had, you know, some, some hits in the transfer portal that might not be repeatable necessarily in future years. But I think, I think the talent profile is going to continue uh, to, to, you know, move in the right direction there at Michigan State. But it's actually just not quite there yet. I know Penn State has lost some games that you wouldn't expect. You mentioned Illinois earlier. Um, the the second half of the season hasn't been great. I mean, they've they're you know what two and four since that Iowa game. Uh, but uh, Penn State has a top twenty talent profile. Jahan Dotson's one of the best receivers in college football. Defensively, they rank sixth in roster strength. Um, they they just are are a a solid team that hasn't always performed quite up to expectations, but are capable of beating anybody on the roster, or excuse me, anybody on the schedule. And Michigan State, though they have overperformed and, and played really, really well. I mean, nine and two is incredibly impressive based on, you know, what our preseason expectations were, based on what we saw last year. Uh, but we did see, and, and Penn State is not Ohio State, obviously, but we did see last week that this Michigan State team is is quite vulnerable. Um, they lost to Purdue, obviously. Penn State is a, I would think, a better team than Purdue. Most people would would probably agree with that. And you know, they're they're similar to what I said about Ole Miss. I mean, I just think Penn State's probably the better team. I know, I know, it might be difficult to trust them week in and week out, uh, but I think the talent is there. Um, you know there is sort of the added level of, of something that we can't quite put a number on, on Michigan state got blown out last week. How are they going to respond? Are they going to say, Oh yeah, actually we're not that good after all, or are they going to come back and play their best game? You never really know. Penn state, a little bit of a disappointing year. Are they going to mail it in say, ah, oh, Celeste, you know, I can't wait for the off season, uh, bowl game, what have you. Uh, or are they going to say, Hey, this is our last chance. Uh, of this regular season, big game, big time, you know, ranked opponent. Let's go out with a win. Can't really, you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit of a waste of time to, to try to guess which one of those will happen, though I do understand that whichever side both of those teams fall on in those questions could potentially, you know, decide who wins here or not. But all I can do is look at roster numbers, look at team performance numbers, and, you know, Penn State, not great on offense. They do have some playmakers who can go out and make some big plays. Dotson being uh, the the most important one of those. 
Clifford being at quarterback, I think is is important. It's going to put them in the position to you know put their best offensive performance on the field, even though that offense performance hasn't been particularly great. 93rd overall, 102nd, or excuse me, 121st uh, in rushing team performance. But a top 10 defense, you know, top 10 against the pass, top 25 against the run. I think they'll be able to do some things to, uh, you know, slow down Kenneth Walker. They were able to learn some of the ways, uh, you know, from what Ohio State did to, to shut him down last week um, and should be able, I think, to, to keep that Michigan State offense uh, from, you know, putting up a, a big number. They've been a top 40 offense. Michigan State certainly has an edge there in offensive team performance. They're 37th there, 26 passing actually a little bit better than their uh, running performance to date, though we know Walker is is capable of putting together some huge games there. But uh, Michigan State is vulnerable defensively. Our passing team performance defensive numbers aren't, you know, worst of the worst like Michigan State is in raw uh, pass defense, but they're not great. I mean, 60th in, in passing team performance. I think Penn State's going to have some opportunities. Dotson, uh, you know, could – keep himself, put himself in the first round discussion uh, next spring's draft. You know, we'll see if he can go out uh, in the, you know, Big Ten play with a bang here. So we've got it a pretty close game. 29-26 is the sort of new uh, score. We had it originally Michigan State 28-27, but once Clifford was in, uh, flipped it around a little bit. 29-26, Penn State winning and covering, and all three agree. You know, we'll see if it plays out that way. Not a huge level of, of confidence in it because I do think this Michigan State team will be motivated. Uh, but again, I just think Penn State's just got the better roster. Maybe uh, you know, maybe the better team in this one. Javier, how do you, how do you see this game playing out? Are you with Nick and you're on Penn State, or is Michigan State going to bounce back after that uh, thumping they just took? I think Michigan State wins and wins fine. To be honest with you, I, 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 and if I'm wrong, then hey, heard I'm this story Michigan, before. By and the way. I'm Michigan State. Hey, I, I am the you know I am the Grim Reaper for Michigan State. If that's the case, if I'm wrong again, so I, I'll just continue to pick against them next season if I'm wrong today. Uh, but when, when I, the reason why I say that, unlike last week where it was kind of, well, it was 100 a pipe dream. What Nick said and what Nick alluded to is that the Michigan State weakness overall is their secondary, and, and when we talk about Penn State. Penn State's passing offense isn't this, you know, three receiver, four receiver deep offense. It's really Jahan Dotson and everybody else. And, and more importantly, uh, what, uh, that that concerns me about Penn State's offense is that they they haven't been able to run the ball effectively in a very long time. And, and if you're talking, if you're coming into this week, what has Michigan State secondary heard the entire week? Oh, we suck. We're terrible. We can't guard anybody. They were running free. The receivers were wide open. So, so I expect Michigan State to give and Mel Tucker to give a, bit, a little bit more cover for his corners this week. I expect Penn State to come out with a passing attack that they try to expose that. It's going to come down to whether or not, in my opinion, Penn State can run the football effectively on the downs in which they need to, because that's been their biggest problem for them all season, in my opinion, is that when it's time to run the football, they can't do it. Uh, I was trying to find a game in which they ran for 100 yards or, or they had one player run for 100 yards. I didn't find one over the last four games. And I, I don't know if I was clicking too fast or what, but it, 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 didn't, it doesn't shock me to see that their inconsistencies go with the fact that their running game is wildly inconsistent and that you're going to put the team or the offensive production on the back of Sean Clifford, who has never been known as a prolific passer. On the flip side, I think Michigan State got cute last week. 
perfectly honest with you. I think when you play an offense like Ohio State, you feel like you have to keep up with them rather than keep the ball away from them. And also on top of that, they ran into a buzzsaw. And I don't think that Penn State has nearly as good of a defense collectively as what, you know, Ohio State was able to trot out there last week. I think Michigan State gets back to what they're good at, which is running in between the tackles. I don't know what they decided to do last week, but they wanted to run stretch plays and allow those freakish athletes on the edge, like Zach Harrison, to run after him. Uh, that was not a great decision. Make was not great play calling from the OC last week for Michigan State. And I think they get back to what they do well, and that's running in between the tackle with Kenneth Walker, uh, allowing him to get as many body blows in the first, second, and third quarters, and, and allowing and by the you know and allowing Peyton Thorne to throw on what is typically running downs second and fours, second and fives, not, you know, going out there on first and 10 and second and 10 and being like, you know what, Peyton Thorne, you're a drop back quarterback. Sometimes he can be, but that's not where his bread and butter lies. His bread and butter is made off of that play action where it allows him to give him multiple options to either run off of the roll or pass the football. That is where he is really doing, you know, to, to Hayward and company. That is where he's allowed to be his best. I think they get back to that this week. And I think that, like I said, I think that you see a concerted effort from Michigan State's defense to not get bludgeoned for a second week. Like Nick said, I think there is an added motivation where for an entire week you have been an you have been a meme, a gif, and an ESPN topic of conversation for an entire week. You know, it's one thing to have a, a, a porous game. It's another thing to get molly whopped on national television where it was, what, 49-0? to zero? by the by by midway through the third quarter or at halftime or something or rather like that it was some ridiculous number like that is that is unacceptable and those are the kind of things that you can teach away from you know and so i think michigan state this week wins like i said if i'm wrong call me the grim reaper for michigan state football at least so the grim reaper i I think you're the grim reaper but we'll see we'll find out uh real soon how about uh penn state at or excuse me we just did that how about the iron ball Alabama at Auburn. Bama is a 19 and a half point favorite. 56 is the over here. Uh, this is one that Xavier picked, but I mean, we had to talk about this game. You know, it, it was, there's so many rivalry games this, this week, you know, and there's so many, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually looking through all of the names. I, I was not aware of how many different names there are for some of these, but this one is the obvious one. Iron Bull, Nick, Bama, big favorites here, but like the Xavier mentioned, it's hard playing at Auburn for anybody. So uh, how do you see this game going? Yeah. And, and I guess I just have a short memory. I get so wrapped up in, in the current season and in, you know, then I'm pretty quick to look ahead to the next season that, uh, you know, history, I guess, slips past me now. I, it didn't used to, I used to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a football college football historian in, in a lot of ways, but um, I was surprised when Xavier brought up, how often Auburn had won at Jordan-Hare Stadium uh, against Alabama. It it just didn't quite sit with, you know, I just didn't quite remember it that way, but he's absolutely right. This has been, you know, one of those uh, throw out the records kind of games in a lot of ways because Alabama consistently is in the playoff discussion, national championship discussion. Auburn is very talented, often, uh, you know, has a lot of great seasons, but they've been a lot more up and down, less consistent. And it, it feels like, you know, the last couple of years been a little more of the bottom uh, portion of that roller coaster um, where just made a coaching change, all that. So um, it, it's it's also a game. Alabama has been a team that, uh, you know, last week I, I had – a pretty bad read on that Alabama 
Arkansas game. And our numbers, you know, thought that Alabama was going to be able to, to blow out Arkansas and it didn't play out that way. And so I'm a little bit, you know, cautious that uh, are we overrating Alabama since Georgia moved to number one in our power rankings, Alabama still stayed at pretty solid two and, and Ohio State's closed the gap. But I think most folks out there, you know, watching the games and a lot of other uh, analytical systems as well see Ohio State as the number two team pretty clearly. And Alabama, this Alabama team is not, you know, certainly not the Alabama team we saw last season, but in a lot of ways, you know, maybe a, a step or two removed from some of the better teams that we saw the previous decade. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that we are too high on Alabama and that they actually might be vulnerable in this game. Uh, you know, that being said, we, we do have Auburn to cover. So I guess, you know, if, if we're going to be wrong uh, to, to still be within the, or if we're going to be the wrong, uh, you know, wrong on Alabama, not being quite as good as we, uh, project, then, you know, I guess we're still on, on the good side of a pretty big number here. Um, but in a lot of ways, I mean, uh, you know, how is this, it's difficult for me to see Auburn actually winning this game. It's just, will or, will Alabama be able to cover or not? Um, because, you know, Alabama's got one of the likely Heisman finalists at quarterback. Bryce Young has been excellent. Uh, Jamison Williams has been incredibly explosive in his first year, uh, you know, transferring in from Ohio State. Uh, John Mechie's been quite good. I mean, they're not as deep at receiver as they've been in years past, but those two have been a really solid one-two combo. Running back, they're also not particularly deep. And, and you know, there have been times, Xavier mentioned it last week when he was discussing why he thought Arkansas would be able to keep it close, that they haven't been super consistent in the running game. This offensive line is not quite as good as what we're used to. Brian Robinson has solid numbers and you know should get to a thousand rushing yards in this game, um, but they're really really thin at that position behind him. I have a couple of season-ending injuries. Uh, you know the top backup Trey Sanders is finally you know looking healthy after dealing with his own injuries the last couple of years, but they're just you know they they are not. Um, as deep as we're used to, especially on offense and defensively, they're they're solid. But this is not, you know, the Alabama defense of of the mid uh, to early 2010s. I mean, they've got some elite elite players, of course. Will Anderson being first and foremost. You know, should he be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy? Maybe leads the nation in sacks, leads the nation in tackles for loss by a huge margin, and a lot of his impact isn't even captured on the stat sheet. I mean, just the way that opposing offensive coordinators have to, you know, game plan to deal with him, uh, the way that he can speed up the decision-making process for a quarterback, make him throw earlier than expected, uh, make him make a mistake that could lead to a turnover. Uh, and he's not the only, you know, uh, former uh, blue chip recruit future first round pick. Uh, they've got a bunch of them. So um you know, keeping that in mind, and then you look at Auburn, who's been, in a lot of ways, especially in the last month or so, pretty disappointing, coming in on a, a three-game losing streak. Um, they are, uh, you know, last week lost to South Carolina, which which probably should not have happened. I mean, pretty impressed with the way South Carolina's uh, played this year under first-year head coach Shane Beamer, but that's not a game that Auburn should have lost. You know, they're, they're playing without their starting quarterback, Bo Nix, 
Um, TJ Finley was not, you know, uh, super impressive statistically, certainly in that game. They've got uh, really, really solid running backs. Tank Bigsby, similarly, you know, I think he needs 60 yards to get to 1,000 this year, but they are not consistent at the right wide receiver position they've had good games here and there from guys like javaris johnson and kobe hudson who missed last week uh but nobody has been a go-to performer there the offensive line has has been solid i mean good numbers they rank 10th in our offensive line performance rating so they actually you know if you look at those numbers have an edge over alabama but the defense is not uh, you know not at all better. I actually, I mean, it's not particularly close. A lot of the statistic numbers, yards per play allowed against FBS opponents are 54th points per drive, 56th yards per pass attempt, 73rd, 74th in success rate, pretty good in EPA per play. They're 22nd, but you know, Alabama and all those categories are better. 13th yards per play, 22nd points per drive, 36 yards per pass, uh, 20th in success rate, 19th in EPA per play. So uh, Alabama, has the better defense, has the better quarterback, uh, has the more talented roster. This is just, you know, if for whatever reason there's some Auburn magic that that you can't really uh, account for, and I just I don't necessarily see it. I mean, I haven't been super impressed with Auburn. Uh, they they are a talented team. They are, um, you know, there, there's every reason to think that they won't get blown out. But are they actually going to be able to win this game? I, I just don't. I just don't see it unless something goes really, really wrong for Alabama, or unless we're just too high on Alabama because we're, you know, counting some past performance that that uh, doesn't really reflect what the current makeup of the of the team is. But I, I think this is a game that you know Alabama is going to win. Auburn certainly could cover thirty six to twenty is our final score projection, so that would be within that you know, 19, 20, uh, three touchdown line, whatever it, it will be by kickoff. But yeah, I, I just think Alabama's going to move to 11 and one and, and get ready for that sec championship game next week. Xavier, uh, do you think that Auburn's got a shot even with, uh, you know, without their starting quarterback and all that good stuff, uh, because of the home field advantage, or do you think that Bama just kind of, you know, Molly wops them as you would say, and, uh, uh, this game is over fairly quickly. I'll be honest. Okay, so I could build an argument for Auburn. And I think I'm going to do that. I think that's going to be fun. So the last time I was at the Iron Bowl as a as a fan or as a as a photographer that time, similar situation. First time, first year quarterback. That at that point it was Mac Jones. It was this time it's Bryce Young. Um, the only difference is Mac Jones hadn't had the same experience level as Bryce Joe as Bryce Young has had. However, if you look at Bryce Young's performances on the road this year, I want you to focus on that statement on the road. He's only had three real road games because their only other road game was to Miami, and that was a neutral side game. He's played at Florida, wasn't a great game. At AM, wasn't a great game. And Mississippi State, that was the only uh, impressive performance he's had on the road this year. So if you're looking for a, a trending theme here for Bryce Young, it's when he's on the road, he is a guy you can get at. He, he hasn't shown an ability to play at a hostile environment uh, you know, at the, the, the peak of his powers, like we, maybe we've saw, maybe we've seen, excuse me. And what better way, what ho- more hostile environment is there than right up the road, you know, in Auburn, where they're going, you're going to hear everything under the sun when he plays in, in that game on Saturday. And on top of that, it's a very hostile environment for Alabama in general. 
And Nick Saban, as I've said, has not had a great success there over the last two times he's been there and three of the four times he's been there most recently. On Auburn's side, you've got them. I think that they've actually figured out something that they should have been doing all year, and that was get the ball to Tank Bigsby as much as possible. There was a there was a sequence there in like the middle of the season where they they thought Bo Nix was the second coming of like I don't know like Marcus Mariota, and they decided to let him drop back the pass like you know for thirty times in a game. And I was like, hey, you've got this all SEC running back behind you. There were rumors that Tank midway through the season was so disgruntled he thought about he, he thought about putting his name in the transfer portal. That was something that was going on there. So it was it, it got iffy there for a second, and I think. With Bo Nix downturn down the end of the as the end uh, as the end of the year has come along, you've seen Tank Bigsby get more and more touches, and you've seen how good he can be. And everything that Nick has said, everything that Nick has alluded to, is why you do at, to at least pick Auburn to cover. Why? Because because they don't have their starting quarterback, because their defense has been awful, because Alabama on paper is so much better than them. We've said that in every Iron Bowl. Outside of the Iron Bowl, where they had Cam, and how long ago was that? Like, let's just be genuinely honest with ourselves. How many Iron Bowls have we come into and gone? Auburn and Alabama, these two teams are about the same. Very rarely, if at all, especially in my laptop, uh, especially over the last decade plus. So uh, I think that when you look at this game, you, you obviously Alabama is the better ball club. But there is some type of magic that happens at Auburn, and I, dev- I don't get it. I've never understood it. I don't know if this is retribution for that one fan deciding deciding to poison Tumor's corner. I don't know what That's it is. Too much damn Bama in me. I don't know what it is. But when when they go down there, they make dumb mistakes. We talk about the kick six. How about the last time they were at Jordan Heron? Saban decides that, okay, right before halftime, I'm going to try a 57-yard field goal with a kicker who can't kick. And then they end up losing the game by three. And then Mac Jones throws two pick sixes in that game, which I think that's the most pick sixes he threw his entire Alabama career. So what what is what is what is it to say that Auburn doesn't somehow put some magic together? It wouldn't shock me. Let's just put it that way. It wouldn't shock me if Auburn's in this game come fourth quarter. I expect Alabama to win this game, but I've expected them to win every time they go up to Auburn, and they've only done it once in the last four attempts. There you go. I'll, I'll just say more. I mean, you put it together. Uh, I'll I'll say more than magic. Uh, I would say that this line is just big. You know, That's it's fair. a big line. You know, it's almost three touchdowns. So, uh, you know, if you think it's gonna play a little closer, because what did I say at the beginning of this? You know, it's rivalry week. Throw out the record. Throw out the statistics. All of that stuff. You know, that's that's what people say. I mean. They don't say magic, Xavier, but they say, you know, uh, they, they say it's a rivalry game. <laughs> I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying magic, you know. I mean, uh, we're dealing in numbers here, Xavier. So magic. Hey, I, don't I know. understand, but I, I've seen some crazy things happen in that stadium once against my Georgia Bulldogs. It's magic. There's no numbers that can quantify <laughs> the amount of crazy things that have happened in that stadium against teams that they have no business being in games with. Curse of the Bambino, right? I mean, <laughs> I was going to say, what, what is it with the uh, in in Major League Baseball, St. Louis Cardinals, Cardinals voodoo magic or mm-hmm. something? It, it, Auburn's Auburn's got a similar. Got, yeah, I don't people, know if somebody people. cooks a meal pregame, so they've got something going in the week of the Iron Bowl that just for for Alabama, Saban's got to hate going down there right now. He just has to. I, I think the fact is, is these guys get up for the game. You know, they, they play a little hard. They try a little hard. They practice a little harder. It's just a different game. And you you should, and, and at this level, you shouldn't need a rival to get you up for the game. It should be, you know, uh, look, we're, we're playing at a high level, and we should be practicing the same way every week. They're just not. 
you know, they're just not. And uh, I, I think I think that's uh, the big thing. You got one more thing to add there, Nick? One last point or, or I guess, question for you guys. Uh, and Xavier made a great point about Auburn's recent history at home in this game. Brian Harson wasn't the head coach in any of those. Does that does that change things? I mean, this is his first game going up against Alabama, first game in a rivalry of this magnitude, um, at least as a head coach on this you stage. No, and I'll say this, because he doesn't know any better. This isn't a guy who's been beaten up by Alabama year after year after year. This isn't a guy who, who You like the across... fresh blood. I, oh, I like it because he doesn't know any better. Who's to say he doesn't go first play flea flicker? He doesn't know any better. He he could their season is categorically over outside of the bowl game that they'll play in in a couple of weeks. There's no SEC championship on the line, and this is the most dangerous for, for, version of Auburn when there's nothing to play for because they oh, have. Man. It's a dangerous, dangerous team when you have nothing to play for, but all you have to do is spoil Alabama's possible chance to get to the playoff, which would make Auburn fans nothing but happy. If they go first play flea flicker, I will believe in magic. How about that? <laughs> so yeah, for, first play flea flicker, I, I will go. Uh, I will absolutely believe in magic, especially the Xavier magic at that point. Um, let's go to Bedlam, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. OK State is a four-point favorite here, Nick. The over is 50 and a half. How do we see this one uh, playing out here? This might be the more the most difficult game of the, of the week for me to kind of wrap my head around. I mean, if, if folks out there have been listening to us week after week, you know that Oklahoma has been a team that – We've been very, you know, the model, our, our projections have been very high on. I personally uh, was a lot higher on them coming into the year, and, and they've been a little bit disappointing. More often than not, they've been able to escape with wins, not always super impressive. Uh, but I do think that this Oklahoma team is a still a solid team, uh, still, you know, a, a Big 12 title contender, certainly. Uh, and a team that's capable of winning a game like this. We actually, we do have Oklahoma State favored, uh, and Oklahoma State is a team that our, our preseason projections, I was a little worried at how high we were on Oklahoma State. There were, there were times in the summer where they were a top 10 team in our model. They ended up being uh, like a top 15 top 20 team. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head. Um, but you know, I was a little concerned about that because my personal opinion of, of Oklahoma state, just sort of looking at, uh, you know, recent years, the offense hasn't really changed very much. Spencer Sanders hadn't been super, uh, consistent or overly productive. Wasn't sure what the running back situation was going to be. Was there a, you know, number one receiver on the roster, that type of thing, were they going to be able to play up to that level? I didn't quite believe it but the defense has been excellent i mean statistically speaking one of the best defenses in the country in fact number two in our team performance numbers uh overall behind only georgia i mean they're third in yards per play allowed against fbs opponents second in points per drive fifth in success rate allowed second in uh predicted points added per play number two in rushing team performance number three in passing team performance i mean they've just been Excellent, excellent defensively, and they've had enough offense to win ten games. You know, the the offense still is not spectacular; it's not particularly, uh, you know, explosive. Not putting up huge numbers. They're sixty sixth in offensive team performance, a hundredth in rushing team performance, thirty sixth throwing the football. But they've done enough. Sanders has been, you know, solid enough to get the job done more often than not. 
Jalen Warren has taken over as that primary running back, and he's been you know pretty solid. Uh, dealing with a little bit of an injury last couple of weeks, but uh, was able to play. Tay Martin has stepped up and become that number one receiver. Uh, and, and you know the the depth at that position is not you know, super great. The offensive line hasn't played all that well. 60th and O line team performance. A couple of guys uh, have been in and out of the lineup, starting lineup with injuries, but they've been good enough to to get the job done. And a lot of it has to do with that defense. And and normally you would think, okay, Oklahoma, we think of as one of the best offenses in college football. So it'll be certainly the toughest test Oklahoma state has faced. And, and that might be true, but we talked a lot of it last week that this Oklahoma offense is not quite playing at, at that elite level uh, that we've seen in recent years. They're 14th in offensive team performance, 27th passing 52nd uh, rushing. They've had injuries at the receiving core as well. They've had quarterback issues. Uh, you know, Kennedy Brooks has been very good at running back, but, that's a, a pretty thin position. The receiving core has been a bit disappointing. Marvin Mims is not putting up the numbers that I certainly expected uh, preseason. Seen some good things about, uh, you know, from Mario Williams as a true freshman, but they just haven't quite been clicking on all cylinders. The offensive line's taken a step back. They're 62nd in O line team performance. So, should we expect that this Oklahoma offense really will test that? Uh, Cowboys defense, I, I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, Xavier's brought up the the defensive issues uh, a lot when we've talked about Oklahoma this this year, and, and I expected them to bounce back. I expected them to be, you know, a top 20 type defense, and they absolutely have not. They're in 69th in defensive team performance, 98th against the pass, 30th against the run, which is, you know, at least if, if you're trying to think of what uh, even though Oklahoma State's not necessarily got great rushing numbers, I think Oklahoma State would want to be able to to you know try to run the football uh, this week, make that a little bit of a priority. So maybe that matches up you know decently well. But as a whole, they just haven't been super impressive. I mean, the the big uh, five stats that I often cite, the best one for Oklahoma has been success rate allowed, forty one point three percent in non garbage possessions against FBS opponents, that's 58th nationally. Uh, the other rankings, EPA per play, 74th, points per drive, 79th, uh, yards per play, 84th, and then yards per pass attempt, 99th. So they've given up uh, just big plays through the air, uh, statistically speaking. So, you know, will Spencer Sanders be able to, to connect on a big pass play to Tay Martin? I mean, you know, that that uh, the, the statistics show, there's probably a decent shot of that happening, especially when you consider that Oklahoma secondary hasn't played particularly well and, and has really been banged up. You know, DJ Graham's a guy that that uh, was injured last week, didn't return. Not sure if he'll be able to, to come back. A lot of other guys who've missed time are working their way back into the starting lineup. But, you know, will it will it really pay off? this week will they be able to to get back and perform at a level that you know expected coming into the year haven't quite seen it yet and they're they're running out of time to you know convince uh, people otherwise so it's pretty pretty even matchup i think oklahoma does have a talent edge pretty big talent edge in this game 15.9 points according to our projections if talent were the only factor uh involved even the the stats only model which takes into account 
performance the last you know three to five years would give Oklahoma slight edges as three-point favorites. But like I said at the very beginning, when we factor in everything, coaching, this year's performance, Oklahoma State, we do see as the favorite, and it is at home in a rivalry game like this. We'll have a home field advantage for sure, uh, but our numbers are on Oklahoma to cover, and factoring in the, the talent edge and the stats model makes that in all three agree for us. My confidence level is not high. Oklahoma has been uh, a bit of a disappointment this year, as much as you know, a 10-win team can be a disappointment. Um, but similar to some of the other games, you know, I, I think just looking at the looking at the roster, that this is a game that Oklahoma should win. And I know that there are other models out there that disagree. I've seen some really, really good ones. Uh, Parker Fleming, who I've mentioned several times on this show, has got some excellent statistical breakdowns with just about every number you could possibly want. And I believe he's got Oklahoma State in that uh, projection as about a 10-point favorite. You know, that model's performed really quite well so far this year. So I certainly understand why uh, some would expect that Oklahoma State can win this game and cover it relatively easily, win by a touchdown or more. But just sort of the way, you know, the way I look at things, and, and we've talked about that, that this year, maybe you haven't had a great read on Oklahoma, uh, but it seems still like this is a game, this is Oklahoma's game to lose. And I, I can understand why, um, you know, Oklahoma State could could get it done. Uh, but I just, yeah, I, I know we have Oklahoma State favored, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if Oklahoma wins outright on the road. So we've got it, what, 29-28, something like that, um, as our, our final 30-29, to 29, Oklahoma State getting the win, but Oklahoma covering. Something in that range certainly uh, could be right, uh, but it also wouldn't surprise me if, if maybe this is a chance. I know I've said it plenty before, so probably sound like a broken record, uh, but maybe this is Oklahoma's chance to, to get right and, and uh, keep themselves in the Big 12 title hunt, and then, depending on what happens elsewhere, maybe even uh, get back at least in the conversation and you know for, uh, for a playoff spot. Xavier, why does Oklahoma State win this game? Because I know you're going to contradict Nick because you guys have been going back and forth on Oklahoma all year long. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm really allowed to have an opinion here because I'm such an uh, Oklahoma hater. But hey, <laughs> Oklahoma State beat us too. So, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, to me who wins this game. I would prefer that Oklahoma doesn't win it, but I honestly don't really care. So uh, I know you're going to pick Oklahoma State. So let's hear it. Yeah, because Oklahoma is the big brother that doesn't ever reach up to the lofty goals that are set for him. That's why Oklahoma loses this ballgame. Because Oklahoma is a team that this year either let's – be, let's just be perfectly honest about Oklahoma football this year. In big games, they have played, what, the, maybe the best half of football by any team in America against Texas. Yeah. Outside of that, they've played very pedestrian in big games this year. West Virginia earlier on in the year, 16-13. What a slugfest. Then, then they then, like I said, they played the best half of football against you guys in, in football this season, but they haven't put a full game together in a quote unquote big game yet this year for me. That would constitute me having any confidence with them coming into this game. You know, they, they played Iowa State last week and they, they kind of just, you know, were able to 
get across the line. They beat them 28-21. Iowa State makes a late push in the fourth quarter to make it close. But nothing about that game was impressive. Once again, Caleb Williams has a very, you know, uh, middle-of-the-road performance. If it wasn't for a running game that featured, you know, Kennedy Brooks running for 115 yards, they may have lost that game by more. You know, on the on the defensive side, you know, Brock Purdy gets injured. So Hunter Deckers comes in, throws a touchdown and throws an INT just to, you know, talk about the defense not being that great. You're allowing a backup to come in and at least put the up but put up a touchdown in that in that in that void. And what Nick said really is why I pick I'm picking Oklahoma State in this game is the fact that Oklahoma State is solid. And, and all year I can I understand the identity of what Oklahoma State is really tells me that this team is starting to really click on all cylinders. Like, let's just talk about what's happened since their loss to, to Iowa State midway through the year. They've gone on and just beat the brakes off of all their competition. They beat Kansas 55-3, to West Virginia 24-3, TCU, which we all thought was possibly a trap game, 63-17. You know, Texas Tech on the road, 23 to nothing. They have been what I felt Oklahoma should have been, which is here's these lesser competition teams – yeah, we picked up a loss that doesn't make any sense or, or is a little bit head-scratching. Well, let's get back to what we do well and, and let's run off these games and, and make ourselves a viable option for the playoff. And that's exactly what they've done. And they do it with the, the what, you know, we talk about platoon swaps in, in, in hockey, and that is a platoon swap at the running back position. Don't get it twisted. They ran for, what, 350 yards against uh, TCU, five of their running backs or four of their running backs, and, and Spencer Sanders makes five, ran for 50-plus yards in that game. Like, that is a running attack that is starting to work on all cylinders. Uh, and, and I against Oklahoma, I'm just not convinced with that defense. You know, I, I would say maybe if Oklahoma has shown better against a Baylor offense that it, I think all case in point is very one-dimensional, then I would be more confident. But Oklahoma, Baylor, Baylor ran for 250 yards against Oklahoma, you know? And, and that is concerning if you're a, an Oklahoma fan against Oklahoma State who has one of the better rushing, better rushing attacks in the Big 12. They're not going to have to change what their style of play is. Spencer Sanders is going to allow to be, you know, the kind of the game manager in which he's done this year, taking a step back, not trying to pass the football as much when he now that he's lost Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard. And they're going to run the football down Oklahoma's throats all game. And, and I don't know if Oklahoma actually can do anything to stop it because I haven't been able, I haven't seen them stop it against a, a good running attack last week in Baylor. So who's to say that they, they're able to stop a, a, a better running attack, in my opinion, uh, in Oklahoma State coming up this week? On top of that, this game is, you know, is at Oklahoma State. That, you know, and I think that that has something to do with it. That is definitely a, a home field advantage for them. Uh, the Pokes are going to be out slapping those paddles against the, you know, against the pads <laughs> on the side of the field. It's, it's, it's a very hostile environment. And, you know, to, to what I said about Bryce Young, this is Caleb Williams' first hostile environment since having to come in against Texas. If we're being honest with ourselves, you know, well, outside a of neutral the, side anyway. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And outside of the Baylor game where he underperformed, right to the point where they had to bring in Spencer Rattler for a drive. So, I'm I'm picking Oklahoma State because Oklahoma. I always say, and we and this reminds me of kind of Oklahoma under Bob Stoops. They they were this highly touted team, and then they'd have a loss under schedule that made no sense. It just made. Absolutely no sense. And eventually it would end up compiling to maybe one or maybe two and maybe three. And then they'd play in a sugar bowl at the end of the year. They'd win the Big 12, but they'd play in a sugar bowl. But the Big 12 just wasn't, you know, couldn't compete with them at that point. The Big 12 is now able to compete with Oklahoma. And I think we'll see that on Saturday. Oklahoma State has everything to play for. I think if they beat Oklahoma 
on Saturday and they beat uh, a Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, you got to put them into the, into the uh, playoff outside if Georgia beats Alabama. I think you got to put them in at that point. That gives them, a, you know, two ranked wins or, or two wins, against, excuse me, against top 10 teams. And if, especially if they're able to do it uh, impressively, you got to put them in, especially with them sitting at seven. That's a, that's in prime spot for them to, to, to get put in at that four seed. So Oklahoma State has everything to play for here. And I think that they start that, you know, that Oklahoma State train of, hey, a one-loss conference champion probably deserves to get in at this point. Yeah, I mean, we'll uh... – We'll we'll see what's going to happen there, but uh, I I just this game is going to be fun. This is going to be a late night game. I'm I love excited. when it's a late night too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes I I feel like it makes those big moments bigger when mm-hmm. it's under the mm-hmm. lights. But uh, uh, last game we have here, we got to go with the game. Uh, Ohio oh, State at Michigan. Ohio State is an eight point favorite, sixty four and a half. I will say that. Michigan is the best team against the spread this year. They're nine and two. They've had a good year. They have tried different things on offense, which is not something that they've been willing to do in the past, Nick. So I'm not saying that it feels like this, this would be an enormous win for Michigan. If they could pull it off. Uh, I kind of thought going into this year, the only way that Harbaugh is going to keep his job was to win this game. No, I don't think so, so much. If if you beat the spread in this game and you make it a game, I think Harbaugh is staying because Michigan has had a fantastic year. Uh, but how do you see this one playing out, Nick? No pressure, just the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's certainly the one that that we'll all be watching and, and uh, biggest uh, in that series that we've seen in several years now, based on how you know Michigan's been disappointing, haven't been able to uh, really put up much of a fight against Ohio State in, in the last few years, and this looks like the best Michigan team, you know, th- their best shot at it in a while. Even though as as good as Ohio State has been recently, coming off one of the more impressive performances uh, that I've seen this season, certainly the way they handled Michigan State. Um, this is this is an Ohio State team that is a legitimate national championship contender, maybe the best uh, matchup. If you're trying to say who could uh, knock off Georgia, who could uh, you know perform well against that Georgia defense? To me, Ohio State's you know right now seems like the the best uh, team built the best way to to do that. But you got to get there first, and they'd have to get past Michigan. Um, Michigan does have, again, the home field advantage. That's important. Uh, it's a rivalry that both sides do not shy away from a lot of, uh, you know, head coaches and, and, uh, folks within the program, you know, give the line We're we're only worried about this week, no matter who they're playing, whether it's an FCS opponent or, or a, a big 10 rival, what have you, but these two sides, talk about this rivalry a lot all, all year. So it's on the minds uh, and part of the the process for both teams throughout. So this is, you know, this is the biggest game on the schedule for both programs and, and uh, they're going to, they're going to play like it. Uh, Michigan is, you know, has been really, really impressive the way that they've done things uh, bounce back in a, a huge, huge way. This, statistically speaking, is the best Michigan team uh, of the CFB winning edge era. I mean, they rank 16th in uh, team performance on offense. Um, they've been solid. You know, uh, the the uh, raw passing numbers aren't 
huge, but Cade McNamara has done a really good job of taking care of the football. They've been efficient in the passing game. Uh, they've got, you know, a, a really, really good set of running backs. I know Blake Corum's been banged up, hadn't played uh, much recently, but Hassan Haskins has been really good. We saw Donovan Edwards step forward and have a huge game uh, as a receiver with 10 catches over 100 yards last week. Uh, playing up to his level is a you know really, really high four-star, uh, fringe five-star running back who just hasn't you know gotten super involved a lot this year because Corum and Haskins have been so good uh but obviously they've got depth there um you know guys like yeah they've had receivers step up guys like Cornelius Johnson uh tight end Eric All you know AJ Hennings had uh some some spots sometimes in the return game but uh, Andrew Anthony had that huge game uh, a couple of weeks ago and they're they're coming along on offense but they've really, you know, bounced back and, and been a top 10 level defense. And, and that defense has really, uh, in years past, been what just hasn't been able to keep up against Ohio State. And, you know, the Don Brown blitz all the time, play man coverage uh, would would work 10 out of 12 games, 11 out of 12 games at different points of his tenure. But Ohio State just had, you know, the the wide receiver room, the quarterback, uh, the offense as a whole to just expose them. And and they've changed it up. Obviously, Brown moved to Arizona and then was recently hired at, at UMass as the head coach there. Um, but they, they went with more of an NFL uh, style, a younger uh, defensive coaching staff. We spent some time talking about that in the preseason, and it's really, really paid off. They're ninth in defensive team performance, fourth against the pass, which is going to be the matchup to watch because that Ohio State passing attack was just – on full display against Michigan state and really has been a lot all year. I mean, it's a big reason why CJ Stroud moved into the betting favorite to, to become the betting favorite as the Heisman trophy uh, winner this past week, that receiving core. I mean, they've got three guys worthy of all American status, you know, Chris Olave, double digit touchdown, Garrett Wilson, probably my favorite of the group, maybe best overall, but, Jackson Smith and Jigba has stepped up and become, I mean, he's the leading receiver, right? He's got 11 production points this year, the way we calculate things, which is almost twice as many as Olave and Wilson. So, you know, he's been great. They're good uh, at, you know, the the running back position, Trayvon Henderson, talk about a true freshman. I mean, he's he's been uh, the best in the country at, at that position as a true freshman. Uh, Master Teague's healthy. Myron Williams has had some moments here and there. That offensive line, ranks fourth in our O-line team performance and, and, you know, even hasn't necessarily been at full strength. So, uh, you know, will they be able to hold up against Aiden Hutchinson, who is an All-American, you know, should be an All-American, should be in the conversation for a lot of Defensive Player of the Year awards? Will they be able to hold up against him off the edge? A guy like uh, David Ajabo's had a, a big, big year on the other side of that offensive line, or excuse me, defensive line. Uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a good matchup. It's it should be the most competitive game that we've seen between these two in a while. And you know, I I I want to believe that Michigan is going to be able to to stay in this game to the very end, and and it will sort of pay off kind of the hype that it'll have coming into it. Uh, the defensive numbers are are the biggest thing. Is Michigan actually going to be able? to scheme up Ohio state a little bit, or are they actually going to be able to 
you know, limit that it just pure explosiveness and just sort of, I don't even know how to describe that Ohio state passing game right now. They've just been so, so good. It's hard for me to believe that anybody's going to be able to match up and be able to, to cut them down. I mean, yeah, they, they won't put up the numbers they did against Michigan state most likely, but can you cut those numbers in half? You know, that, that would be, uh, is that going to be good enough to win for Michigan? I'm not sure. Um, but being a, a top 10 team in yards per play, uh, top 10 team in points per drive, top 10 in yards per pass attempt, that's probably the big one. You know, can they play at that same level against Ohio State? That That's that's going to be the, the biggest question for me. Our numbers, I mentioned, uh, have, uh, not necessarily are low on Ohio State, but they've been kind of neck and neck there with Alabama, but a little bit behind. But I think most people would agree Ohio State's probably the better team. I, I might, you know, agree with that as well. Michigan, we've we've mentioned a lot that the talent profile isn't quite what it was. They're outside of the top 25 looking in in overall roster strength, offensive roster strength, defensive roster strength, but they played like a top five team and they've moved into, you know, based in, in large part from that team performance uh, this year, which is fourth overall. They've moved in to sixth in our power rankings. So, you know, you would think number three versus number six, really, really close matchup. But that that top three uh, in our numbers of, of Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, there's there's a little bit of a gap there uh, between, between them and, and the rest of the group. So we actually do have Ohio State favored not only to win, but, but to cover by 8.75 points is our official projection. Uh, the talent edge number, is bigger nine and a half on the side of Ohio State, and our stats only model uh, has it at eight point zero eight. So based on the the official projection uh, this week when we uh, release that to our, our patrons on Tuesday, this is an all three agree Ohio State to cover by eight or more in all three uh, projection models. So. It should be the closest and most competitive game that we've seen in a while, and I do think we will see, uh, you know, a Michigan team that can can slow down Ohio State a little bit. But I just think that that this Ohio State team is really, really playing like, you know, like a like a top two, certainly top three team in the country, and there's still just a little bit of a gap between Ohio State and Michigan from a roster standpoint and really from an on-field standpoint as well. I mean, this offense has just been, you know, really, really good recently, uh, really difficult to stop. And and it's kind of a, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. So our final projection here is 34-25. Uh, that actually, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess, I guess I, I can get in line with that. It, it, you know, the number, the the projected total, the, the over-under uh, from the, the odds makers is 64. So I could see it maybe being a little bit higher scoring. Uh, but Ohio State to win by, by nine or more uh, for this one seems about right. Xavier, uh, is this the year? Is this the year that Michigan gets it done? Or uh, is Ohio State going to beat them into the ground again? I would like for I would like to see it 
personally, I, I grew up a Desmond Howard fan, so I have a little bit of a rooted interest in, in Michigan in this game in particular. Um, and, and what I think that if Michigan were to win this game, and that's kind of how the, the line I'll go down right now, it, they're, they're going to have to play the game like Oregon did it earlier in the year. And I know a lot of people look at that Oregon game and go, oh, well, Ohio State's offense wasn't necessarily clicking like it is now. I feel like that narrative has been tossed around a little bit too much, and it's not necessarily true. Uh, in that game, the, the the top three receivers all had 100 yards plus. Uh, in that game, they rushed for over 120 yards. The only difference was C.J. C.J. Stroud threw for 484 yards. The only difference in that game was an interception that he threw. That was the sheer only difference in that game that that, that changed the complexion of that that changed the outcome of it, right? And so when you look at it in that regard as how well that offense clicked, and you look at the other end and you go, well, Oregon ran for about 200 yards, right? But Anthony Brown didn't have an amazing day at the in the office. He, he threw for he threw 17 of 35, 236, and two touchdowns. I think in that game, what Oregon did such a good job of is they always they had long sustained drives. The the time of possession was almost 50-50 in that ball game. And, and on top of that, they had 27 first downs, which meant that they kept drives going. They kept drives ticking. And I think that if Michigan wins this ball game, that's what they're gonna have to do. The bigger the the biggest thing that you want to stay away from when you play Ohio State is the avalanche effect. That is, you get two drives, you know, you, you, you they score, you turn it over, they score. That's the that's what you keep away from when you play an Ohio State team or you when you want to play an offense that this that's this potent. If you go score for score with them, you have an opportunity to at least maybe get a stop. Maybe they find out, you know, maybe they get a false start on first down and it throws the rhythm off of their offensive drive. That's what you're looking for from Michigan's perspective is just to keep these drives ticking and make sure that Ohio State is not starting with amazing field position every single time. If you can get a drive that's, that, that bogs down at your, you know, inside the 50, you punt it, they got to go 90 yards. Hey, if they're able to go 90 yards, kudos to them. Our defense just must not be that good, right? That is what you're going to try to do against this Ohio State team is play field position and make sure that you keep these drives going into a, at the very least to, to put Ohio State behind where they behind schedule in the field uh, in the field position department from from a, a Michigan offense. They have a good enough running game to get through Ohio State. They do. Their, their running game is really has been really good at points this year, even in the Michigan State loss. We got to remember that this was a team that was up 16 points. You know, that offense was still clicking in that, that ball was more game. about the defense for sure. Exactly. And, and I think that, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, that game, you can still hang your hat on and go, you know what? Kay McNamara looked really good. He looked really good in that game, barring one interception, right? Our running game, where it might not have been the best it's been all season, it was good enough. We have, you know, and, and so when you look at that game, I, I think you could pull a, a lot away from it and the fact that Kay McNamara is a guy that they can trust. You know, going into this ball game, so Ohio State can't just pack the box and stop Blake Corum and company. So, you know, the other thing, if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm looking at. I said this with Alabama. This is really Ohio State's first massive road test. Let's call it what it is. Oregon at home, Michigan State at home, and if you know Penn State at home, this is their first massive road test outside of. And I know this is going to sound really weird. Nebraska. Well, let's just check how C.J. Stroud performed in that Nebraska game. He threw 54 times for 404, 405 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Not the best day at the office. And I would suggest, and I think nobody here would, would, would scoff at this, Michigan's offense is better than Nebraska's. So 
if you're a Michigan fan, these are some of the, 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 the themes that you're hoping continue is, is that maybe, you know, CJ Stroud gets rattled and you're able to get three drives to start off the game where they don't score. And now your defense can build confidence. Aiden Hutchinson is one of the best players in college football. Maybe he's able to wreck shop up there and you're able to just rush four, which would do wonders for a back end that hasn't been great. That kind of got bludgeoned late in that game against Michigan state. And you for sure know that that defensive coordinator this week is going to run two, two deep man the entire game. There's no way there's not two safeties behind the ball at all times with the way that, you know, I doubt that they go out there and they say to those kids, we're going to put you in, in, in cover zero with no safety behind you all day long. And just, you know, you have to run with those receivers. That's saying too much, but the difference is, you know, Michigan state doesn't have an Aiden Hutchinson on their defensive front where, whereas I think Michigan, you know, they not only do they do, they do, but I think they have an opportunity here to really make this a competitive outfit. Obviously, I, I, and I'm saying all this because we hear all about the Ohio State, but I, I think that Michigan has more of a chance that I think people are giving them credit for. And, and I think that they, at the very least, will compete on Saturday. I still am going to think Ohio State is going to win this ballgame because I think they have enough in the tank at the end. And I think their running game, not their passing game, is going to be what ends up being that, that separation factor because if – their running game has become so much more of a part of a fixture of their offense than when it was when they did lose to Oregon back in, in the second week of the season, right? Travion Henderson, Master Teague, and those guys have gotten rolling over the last five, six weeks. And that, in my opinion, is going to be what separates them is their ability to run the football when they need to. But I think Michigan stays in this game. I've got Ohio State winning, but it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be close, and we're going to have another classic on our hands versus, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ohio State essentially just making themselves the number two team in the country by blowing them out of the water. I mean, it's going to be a fun one. It always yeah. is every single year. So lots of rivalry games this weekend, lots of fun. But, Nick, give us the breakdown on the all three agree. Um, you know, take a deep breath. <laughs> before you get it because i know there's a lot of them this week so uh give us those in the wrong team favor and we will be on our way yeah yeah first uh because it's quicker wrong team favored we mentioned i think all three of them there there are only three this week and, and the margins are pretty close but we have Ole Miss favored to win outright uh in the egg bowl we have nebraska uh which is a weird one i know uh looking at the records and, and with adrian martinez out but we do still have nebraska favored over iowa and then washington also a weird one. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, all three of these end up being losses. But uh, we still think Washington is is a slightly better team. We've been wrong on Washington a lot, uh, but against Washington State, uh, we'll see how that one shakes out. The all three agree, thirty six of them, which is uh, the most we've had by double digits, probably. Uh, so we'll see how it all works out. We are one and zero. Western Michigan minus three and a half. We got that one. We also got the season win total on Western Michigan. Last night, happy with that. Uh, two games on Thanksgiving, San Jose State, we think can keep it within a, a touchdown uh, against Fresno State. And then uh, Ole Miss is a, an all three agree as well. Texas minus three, been bad for us recently, but we're on it again. Eastern Michigan plus eight and a half, New Mexico plus 16, Missouri plus 14 and a half. I do actually kind of like that one. Uh, South Alabama plus 18 and a half. We've, we've been too high on South Alabama a lot in recent weeks. Uh, so keep that in mind. Colorado plus 23 and a half against Utah might just be too many points. Uh, TCU plus 15, North Carolina plus five and a half against NC State. Uh, Washington again, Georgia Tech plus 35 and a half against Georgia. You know, we'll see. Maybe Georgia just sort of, you know, ramps down a little bit in the second half, uh, keeps that within five touchdowns. Who knows? 
Uh, Ohio State minus eight is one. Texas Tech plus 14 and a half. UConn plus 32 and a half. Florida minus two and a half. Don't feel great about that one, but yeah, you know, we talked about it a little earlier. Liberty minus three and a half. Similarly, probably underrating Army in that one. Uh, also probably underrating Navy, but we have Temple plus 12 and a half. Duke plus 21 and a half. That Duke defense, Scott, you and I had talked about it in the CFF show. Uh, they looked so bad against Malik Cunningham. Uh, and that I ended up offense. taking your advice. I suggested Tyler Van Dyke and Will Mallory this week in my Fantastic Four. So uh, Duke looks horrific. Hopefully they look a little bit better because we've got Duke plus 21 and a half. Uh, Charlotte plus 10. Feels like we've been on Charlotte every week and we've been wrong just about every week. So uh, keep that in mind. Arkansas State minus two. Troy plus six and a half with a recently fired head coach. Oregon minus six and a half. Penn State minus one. Marshall minus one. Indiana plus 16. Vanderbilt plus 31. Virginia Tech plus seven. Also recently fired head coach. SMU minus six and a half, which is a weird one because SMU really laid an egg. And we were just talking in the, the private chat here that as we were discussing SMU's losing like four of its highest, uh, or excuse me, highest, highest <laughs> rated recruits today. And just, uh, yeah, it's something, you know, things are, things are moving there in, uh, in Dallas, but we're on SMU minus six and a half FAU minus three and a half Oklahoma plus four Clemson minus 11 and a half. I kind of like that one too. I know South Carolina has been good uh, or at least better than expected, but I feel like Clemson's, you know, turning it on towards the end of the year. Memphis minus five and a half. Stanford plus 19. Stanford's been so bad. Uh, so I don't don't love that one. Uh, and then last but not least, UCLA minus seven. So I don't know where I feel. Uh, there are like two or three of them that, that... I mean, you can feel many ways. There's so many of them. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's too many. It's weird. This is probably going to be the end of all three degree uh, moving forward. That might be one of those changes that we make. Uh, but, the, the, uh, the, the all three agree has been, uh, released from CFP winning edge. So. Potentially, potentially. I'll probably still track it just, I mean, it was good. It was so good. And in, in, in the transfer portal, it might be, I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> too, too many, hopefully this amount will actually, we'll put up a good number and yeah. uh, it'll, uh, you know, get us, get us a little bit closer to, to 50, 50, but, uh, we'll see. It's been, like I said, it's been the best bet in college football is to fade these. So I would not suggest, or I would not, uh, uh, you know, uh, recommend. Well, what was it? Good? I, w- I wouldn't fault anyone for, for taking that path. Uh, oh, if you're still listening, you probably turned it off by now based on oh, how these have performed. On. Come on. <laughs> uh, they're still listening and they're still listening. We have to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Hold uh, on. Safe travels. Yeah. yeah. Sa- safe travel. Oh, is there more? We got more. We, we, we've got a little bit more. And this is just because I know that there's some people who have been following us since the, the, the beginning of the season when we laid down some bets. There are some bets that are coming that, that have to come to fruition this week. Or we got so you, you got some people losing some money. So Scott had Nevada over seven and a half wins this year. They are at seven. They have an opportunity to go over this week. We have Nick who had Temple over three wins this year. They're at three. So uh, they play Navy this week. I don't know about that one. You've got Nevada <laughs> playing Colorado State this week. That's Let's at least a on, on, on Scott. I like um, that one, yeah. And if anybody followed my bets at the beginning of this year, the only one you would have lost out of the seven bets I put in was Washington State under six. I got I got every single one outside of that one. 
Nice. All right. Nice. Well, we'll do a we'll do a full win total breakdown yes. uh, in in future weeks. I, I've got right. I've got those numbers as well. And as much as I've been down in the dumps on uh, our our weekly performance, we've been a, we were a we were a preseason prediction show all along. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's our bread. Join us for the off season. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is all just you know we're we're just having fun here. But but those win totals that's that that's what we've been all about all along. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, everyone have a uh, happy Thanksgiving and safe travels. And uh, if you're listening to us while you're traveling, hopefully it's going easy for you. Uh, stay safe out there and have a great uh, holiday with your friends and families and, and everything like that. So we appreciate you guys. And we will see you guys next week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFP winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Go UMass. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.